Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, Mary, here we go. How we doing back there? All right, let's go, let's pray, let's go. You're getting close now, here we go. Oh Lord God, Heavenly Father, who in your Son has given to us a pioneer of salvation and a guide for the way, him who is eternal priest and mediator for your people, grant we beg that we hold him fast in love, that we learn obedience in his discipleship, and that we are drawn into your heavenly sanctuary through him, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. And the great Dallas Willard, uh, there's a great Dallas Willard quote about every, every person. Part of, part of no man being an island, no man being his own master, is that everybody has a master. If you say you don't have a master, then you just have yourself as a master, which is really not so great. Anyway, sort of, you can take Bob Dylan if you're a hipster. You can take, who finally took, got the Nobel Prize yesterday, by the way. I can't wait for his lecture, which is mandatory within six months of December 10th, so we'll see what happens. I wonder if anybody would understand <laughs> Have you seen Bob in concert lately? I'm not sure he has any words. It's just always sort of like, then, then you're nodding along like you know all the words, right? But it's like, as long as you pay him and he comes out, everything's beautiful. So, uh, all right, it's all good. Busy stuff. Sign up for the women's retreat if you haven't. Um, young hipster guy from Brooklyn coming out. So uh, sign up if you haven't done that. We're at about 60 or something, but we should be higher than that by the time you all decide. Thanks to you who stayed after school last week and lifted the organ into the loft. All the pieces are there, so pretty soon that'll... And that takes a load of pressure off us because we have, you know, there's... You know, we got the million-dollar pipe organ for $300,000. Part of the deal was it all rested. We had all our chips on this one guy who has turned out to be brilliant. In fact, John, he has an organ on the cover of the uh, Stuffy Organist of America. (laughs) Nobody gets this magazine except us magazine. It's not Rolling Stone. It's Rolling Stone for organists. But one of his organs is featured on the cover. John goes, hey, this is going to look kind of like what ours looks like. So anyway, he's done a good job. But he hasn't died yet, which is what's most important to us. Because if the guy, you know, if the guy drops dead, you know, we gave him all the money already. It's like, duh. So it should all be okay. Anyway, that, you know, who knows when that would come. So, uh, okay. Anything else we should talk about on the way? Yes. Several of us went to go get those organ parts from Indianapolis. Yes, you did. But it was absolutely amazing. We actually took about 45 minutes before we started doing any loading. Yeah, right. And he actually explained the concept and how he actually physically makes pipes out of metal flat pieces. Yeah. Glues the wood together. Yeah. It was just an amazing thing that we had to stop this work and it's We've been really fortunate in the people that have worked here. So, I mean, here, I mean, talking out of school a little bit. You know, one of the things that we, so you're going to hear more about for me. The, you know, so just, you know, come to Bible study because you find out what's going on. Um, you know, one of the things when we moved in, we never, we never finished the sanctuary. The reason you can't hear is because the bid was $140,000 for the audio. We only paid $40,000. That's why I sound like Bob Dylan in the pulpit. <laughs> now, you know, the other thing is we never really painted. We never really finished. We didn't do the ceiling. So we had a guy out this week from De Prado Regali, I think is the name. But he's, um, you know, they're the guys that did Holy Name Cathedral. They did the rookery downtown. They'd done a lot of stuff. So he sort of came in and started poking around. He goes, you know, this is a really nice space. I'm like, I know. But so someday, someday we need to finish the sanctuary, right? We need to make the audio work. We've got to 
finish the paint and move everything around. Every artist that comes in looks at the front wall and thinks to themselves, blank canvas for me, right? <laughs> Everybody, every iconographer wants to put a huge icon. Every muralist wants to have a mural. Stay tuned. We'll see. But at some point before I drop dead, we should actually finish the sanctuary because it's, uh, there's quite a lot of nice stuff going on. So kind of hold on. And someday you'll be able to hear, and it'll be wonderful for all of us, okay? Okay. Um, questions about anything going on? There's a lot going on. Come to church on what? Food truck, I think, this week. Gretchen, food trunk? I think so, too. So um, it's horrible. You should stay home. Um, the food truck is great, man. I love this guy. He'll be, he'll be back for a command performance. He was the guy who was up first week. And we're giving money in the basket to the food pantry downtown. Free association, right? Everything's connected to everything else. And what else? Anything else we have to talk about or do? No? We're all good. All right. So I'm going to try to move you from 13 you know, all the way through to 14 in order for you who are slightly rigid and old school, okay? <laughs> what? Sorry, I didn't mean I was describing so many. Okay, so here we go. The whole point of this is that, the, you know, and, and I was thinking this morning, we haven't touched the catechism yet, and probably for good reason, because you already did that once uh, or twice. You know, the whole point is to remind you that of a single thing, that God is tender with you. And the heart of God is love, and you can refuse him or you can ignore him, uh, but he just really tries to track you down. He won't force you, but he's looking for you. And the creed, you know, because it's formulaic, sometimes we think to ourselves, well, stuffy old stuff. But really, the point of the creed is to give you a bit of shorthand so that you remember all that the Lord has done for you, and then you're grateful in return for that. So this is how, this is how love works, right? This is how humility works. You remember the good that people have done for you, and then you are grateful, you trust them, you love them, you work with them. And that's what the creed is meant to do. So it's this story of how God loves you. And we did the story of Mary then, who, you know, the Lord comes to her and says, um, how about it? And then she says, first she's scared to death, uh, you know. And the old thing about, I told you once before about how you tell, the difference between how you tell demons and and, um, angels, you know. Angels scare you, and then they console you. Demons console you, and then they scare you, right? And so typical for Mary, this angel comes, and she's in the estate, you know, it's, it's all going to be okay. And then this remarkable thing where she gives her fiat, this famous, let it be to me, when that she becomes the paradigm for all Christians in this. So she does it herself, let it be to me. And then we did John 2, the wedding at Cana, do whatever he tells you, Right? So what she embraces in herself, she offers to other people. The other side of that was Pilate then uh, with his no, who defines everything in terms of survival and power. And so Pilate, you know, KG veteran, actually Jake DeClue was telling me he was reading stuff that, that sort of behind this story that it seems that Pilate may have been under investigation for treason at about this time. Pilate was not a very good administrator, um, he, just, he just wasn't very good at his job. And you tended to disappear if you weren't very good at your job. So if this, in fact, is true that he was under investigation for treason during Holy Week or around this time, then you can understand why when they said, um, you, know, um, you, you know, we're Caesars. We belong to Caesar. Kind of the implication, do you belong to Caesar? Because we belong to Caesar, right? And so um, off we go then. And... Um, we were just about at um, about at nine or ten or so, right? 
So, you know, opposite palindromes, no. This is kind of the end of 10. So this is number 13, the end of 10. This great, um, this great thing about not defending yourself. This is very difficult for us, especially in the church. But some of the best advice I ever got about being in the church was not to defend yourself. And um, you can see that this is in the image of Jesus. Um, you know that God doesn't defend himself against you. If you want to poke him in the eye, if you want to turn and run the other way, God, he sort of absorbs it all, but he doesn't defend himself. I mean, someday, you know, hell is when you get your way forever, right? So someday, someday, if you say to, to God, I'm on my own, I'm on my own, you know, forget about you, I'm on my own. This is the great, inter- this is, shows you how much God is not in control and doesn't care for power. He says to you, okay, hell is when you get your way forever. You say to God, I'm my master, I ignore you, I'll do what I want, I'll live my own life. And constantly he seeks you, loves you, blesses you, holds you, talks to you, feeds you, nourishes you, calls you back, wants to make you fully human, right? But if you ignore this, hell is when you get your way. He sort of says, see, he actually lets you be in power and then you're ruined because none of us are good gods, right? So the Son of God, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in him was always yes. This is this gorgeous thing. We use this for a stewardship or a capital campaign way early. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. It's a yes world. I always try to tell my kids, it's a, it is a yes world, right? You try to say yes always. Yes is, is your default answer. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ, right? This is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. Um, it's God who establishes us with Christ, has anointed us, put his seal on us, and guarantees all this. Now, 11. In Jesus, God's freedom and love take shape as a human act. You know, one of the things I think that maybe, I mean, I think it drives me completely crazy, maybe you too, is that people who talk a lot never do anything, right? I mean, words talk is, is cheap um, when it's not backed up with action, so, you know, this great quote, loved by his father, Jesus loves and trusts him wholly. Jesus' humanity is soaked through with a divine response to God the Father. It's a life that embodies God the Son or God the Word. And so, now here it is, and so it is life without restriction. There's something very interesting about Jesus at the end of the Gospel they saying about Lazarus, set him free. It's very much the same sense as what happens with the woman caught in adultery when Jesus says to her, go, you're free. Who condemns you? I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. I don't condemn you. Your community has already gone home. God doesn't condemn you. I don't condemn you. I hope you don't condemn yourself. Go, you're free. Not free for anything, of course, but to live inside the love of God, right? So it's a life that embodies God the Son or God the Word, a life without restriction, without rivalry or envy in its capacity for giving. And so the great words of Jesus, give and expect nothing in return. Very difficult to execute that. So you're not always doing deals. In fact, your life doesn't boil down to that. What's important in your life is to do the right thing, do the right thing, you do the right thing, you do the loving thing. The chips fall where they fall, right? At peace with God the Father, it is life that makes peace in a human world wherever it's at work, right? And then just turn the page. 
Jesus says he lays down his life and no one takes it from him. Yes, but as I suggested earlier, that laying down and taking up again must not be understood as play acting, as, through, as though Jesus is orchestrating the drama. And this is really hard to get in the text for today as we go into Holy Week. You know, it's just very hard to, you know, we spend a lot of time already talking about the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. There's not some trap door, you know, between the humanity and the divinity where when, when the humanity gets too weak that, you know, Jesus sort of opens the trap door and he steals a little bit of divinity so he can make it through. That doesn't help any of us. The story of Jesus is that God takes on human flesh to show us what human beings should be. So what Jesus does is what Adam could have done had he stayed faithful in the garden. That's the, the story of Adam is a story about a human being who can't handle freedom, who must be God, who must be master, right? who ruins everything. Jesus, the second Adam, does according to his humanity as a human being. He does what you could do if you didn't have original sin, if you weren't a sinner, right? So don't go through the next couple of weeks thinking that the fix is in. This is why Jesus sweats blood. Because the, the, tr- the, 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 the terribleness of this, when the whole world is against you when, you, when you stand for these things, when you stand for love, when you stand for virtue, when you stand for, um, for obedience, for, 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 for what's true, what's good, what's beautiful, what's honest, the terror of that in a very difficult world is, is enough to, you know, the, the weight of that is so difficult. So the good news about Jesus, he does it according to his humanity, right? He does what Adam should have done, could have done, had he not turned in on himself. Laying down his life is absolute obedience, abandonment, loss of control, committing all to the Father. And then this great line, Jesus is eager for this, right? It is true that in the fourth gospel, he trusts that the Father will not finally abandon him, I'm never alone because the Father is with me. But that trust is vindicated only after the cup is empty, that is, after he dies. Like Jesus doesn't know in advance that it's all going to work out. He trusts that it will all work out, but the fix is not in. At some point, you and I all have to make our choice. We will cast our lot in with somebody. This is all the way back to Dylan at the beginning, right? You have a master. You have a God. You choose somebody as a God. You choose yourself. You choose another person. You choose something right? Choose your God well, right? And what does the church say? Choose the one who's been tender with you. Remember this last week we talked about why you trust people? First comes love, then comes trust, right? Christ has loved you dearly. That's why he's trustworthy. There's no one else who's loved you the way that Christ has loved you, right? Through thick and thin. You know, Paul's thing, it's rare for a good man even to die, I mean, it's rare for a good man to die for a good man. Think about how, what it takes for a good man to die for a bad man, right? That trust is vindicated only after the cup is empty. The glory of the cross is precisely in the free abandonment that lets everything go, right? You still okay? Yes, Bruce? Uh, Jesus obviously knew the, the law. I mean, knew the Torah. The Abraham, when he took one up, Isaac, had the same basic belief and experience before he got the knife down. I would assume that Jesus 
was laying pretty heavily on his trust of his father, just as Abraham did. Not knowing what was going to happen, but so that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So you remember back, you know, um, to the 21 martyrs in Libya, right? So everybody can talk a big ball game. And then, I mean, you remember how the story goes, right? They say to um, confess Allah and live, confess Jesus and die. One after another, I commit my soul to the Lord. Boom, 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 20 in a row. And then the last guy who was an African, not an Arab, not yet Christian, says, I'll have what they're having, right? Remarkable thing, right? 21 in a row, boom, 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 boom. It's, it's one thing to come to church today, pretty safe, Wheaton, Illinois, nothing's going to happen to us, you know, the coffee's hot and everything's fine, right? It's quite another when people come to you and say, you know, well, here, this is the end to you, right? So your choices, and also the choice to be able to go free. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a reality, it happens. You know, to do that, that's the sort of abandonment, right? There is this moment to kind of on the other side when you actually don't know you know, the way we tend to know things, right? But this is why the church consoles you. This is why we pray for you, weep for you, come to you, anoint you, stick by you, and watch you die so that you wouldn't be alone. In that characteristic, Jesus is most unique because he dies alone in darkness, right? So his life is unique and his death is unique. And to, to commit his, to, you know, to abandon himself to his father in that situation, Right? This is a testimony to divine love. You remember, think way back now at the beginning where what holds the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit together is love, right? At the end of the day, love is all there is. That's all there is, right? We express it and we trust it or we don't, right? Um, it's a pretty good way to sort out the world as well. So, but it is difficult. God has finished what only God could finish, Right? Christ's sacrifice is a gift that exceeds every debt. Our sins have been consumed, making possible lives that glow with the beauty of God's spirit. It is finished here should be taken in the sense of consummatum est. It is consummated, fulfilled, brought to perfection. This is under 13, right? Some with Pilate will ask, what is truth? To those who sincerely ask the question, the answer proposed is this, the truth. The truth about everything is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is not the answer the world expected then or expects now, right? And so the big news is that our life lies in the death of Jesus. There was this great quote we had before where we talked about um, you only become fully human. You, You only have the possibility of being fully human in what Christ does to you, right? It isn't a vengeful or inflexible God. It isn't that a vengeful or inflexible God demands satisfaction. More that the the way the world... Oh, I must start again with my reading voice. It isn't that a vengeful and inflexible God demands satisfaction. More that the world the way it is makes it unavoidable that our way to freedom lies through the self-giving of Jesus, even to the point of death. In the kind of world that you and I inhabit, the kind of world that you and I make or collude with, this is what the price of unrestricted love looks like, right? 
And then at the end, the Orthodox sing in the liturgy for, for East. Um, you left nothing undone until you had brought us all to heaven. I mean, it's a fairly simple thing. We just can't listen, right? We just can't listen. It's what the world is worst at. We can't listen. We have presuppositions about everybody and everything. We can't listen. We can't let people speak for themselves. It makes life too hard. If you listen to people, it's too hard. It's better to have big swaths and, you know, you sort of label people. And, you know, we do this all the time. It makes our life manageable. You know, the Jesus option is to love people and let life be unmanageable. And to one by one, you know, love people and engage them and listen to them and treat them with kindness and love and in beauty and expectation. It's a different kind of way to go through life, but it actually believes that Jesus will sort it all out at the end. Right? Every human life conceived from eternity and destined to eternity here finds its story told. In this killing that some call senseless, we are brought to our senses. Here we find out who we most truly are because here is the one who is what we were called to be. The derelict cries, Come follow me. Follow him where? We recoil. We close our ears, we hurry on to Easter. But we will not know what to do with Easter's light if we shun the friendship of the darkness that is wisdom's way to life. The truth about the crucified Lord is the truth about ourselves. The only joy to be trusted is the joy on the far side of a broken heart. Right? So... Um, you know, this is the way life works. You love people, they break your heart, you move on, and you trust that the Lord will sort it all together. Partly, you always have to remember that in the midst of this, um, you know, this can be, it can be debilitating to be a Christian. After all, you've chosen a loser um, to follow, uh, at least for the 80 years that you're here. But do you remember how it is in uh, the baptismal mandate in Matthew 28, where Jesus says... Um, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So um, heaven and earth is space. And then, lo, I'm with you always to the close of the age. That's time. So any place, Jesus says, any place in time and space, any place you go in time and space, I'm with you. Which is great consolation for people who have suffered, people who are depressed, people who are ill, Right? I mean, any place you go, Jesus is already there waiting for you. And he descended into hell. Part of what that means is, if you go to hell, Jesus is there waiting for you. Jesus went to hell first, right? When people talk about, my life is hell, right? Well, you're never alone if you've been baptized. Jesus is there waiting for you. And so, you know, you can never say if you're a Christian, I'm alone and nobody loves me. It's impossible to say that. Now, hopefully, we have that sense among ourselves that we're kind to each other and we support each other. But we're fallible, and we get too busy, and we make mistakes. And sometimes we're just exhausted, none of which describes Jesus, right? So um, wherever you go, whatever you do, um, Jesus is there waiting. The painfulness of that is that the only way through this is actually living 
And living involves darkness and it involves suffering. And at some point, living involves dying. But the only joy to be trusted is the joy of the far side of a broken heart, right? That's the human lot, right? We sin. We try to have it our way. We break it. Guess what? It's going to be rough and tumble for a little bit until you move through your life into death. And then for a really good long time, you know, forever, you know, life is warm, light, love, beauty, good, all things gathered together, right? This is the remarkable thing. We did this earlier. Now things start to come back to touch us. But we did this earlier about how, um, you know, from the moment of conception, right, a person is made a separate person. So you get to, if you have children, you get to concreate with God. It's one of the great gifts of being alive. Do you get to concreate? You and God and the one whom you love create this child without, it has a beginning but no end point. Lives that are created live forever. It's a wonderful thing, right? And the first 80 or 90 years can be a bit bumpy. But um, you try to pull all that together. And then, then you know, on the, on the far side of that, trouble, darkness, pain. This is why, actually, you know, all the things that the church loves, um, community, friendship, love, bearing other people's burdens, loving people even when they're unlovable, right? Being kind, turning the other cheek, doing good to those who hate you praying for those who persecute you. That's why all that stuff, all that stuff matters. You can't get it anyplace else but the church. And it's very hard to get to the joy that's beyond trouble if you don't stick together, right? It's one of the great joys of St. John. You all sort of stick together. You're smart enough over the years. You've suffered enough. You're smart enough to know that if you don't do this, pretty soon you look just like the world. It's one of the great problems in churches. The churches look just like the world, Right? There's no, people can't tell the difference between inside and outside. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is otherworldly. I mean, this is the whole reason to have an organ. This is the reason to do the sanctuary. This is the reason to make things beautiful. You know, when the guy came in from Regali this week, he looked down at the floor. I said, um, I said to him, the stone is from Jerusalem. And I said, the marble was laid by, I don't know if you remember this, the guy who laid our stone, our marble, he was from Romania. He had been an orchestra director. He couldn't get work in America as an orchestra director. But he laid marble like he was directing an orchestra, right? I mean, the glory of what he put into that. Well, you can't get that just everywhere. And so it's incumbent on you and on me to be different. It doesn't matter what other people do. What's important is that you live as one who's been mercied. Okay? Full stop. That's the end of 13. You good? Everybody good? All right. Questions about anything? In some ways, you know, I probably, as long as I live, will not say another new thing to you. Um, but to try to, re- try to remember how it all fits together really is the, is the key. Although occasionally there are quite surprises. You, know, so so, you know, one of the things that was surprising for me this week was just sort of the depth of Jesus' own fear. It's really bleak. Um, the way those those words are used, and then it's not bleak when it when it comes out the other side, but sort of. Um, I, I, you probably don't when you think of Jesus. You probably don't think about Jesus being so scared that he shakes, right? But that's what the word means. It's really quite remarkable. So, like you in every way, but without sin, the way Hebrews talks about it. 
All right, let's keep going then. Um, we actually don't have that many classes left if you can, you know, a little pause for commercial break. Um, I think next week we go. The next week we don't go. The next week after that we don't go because it's the 150th. You 11 o'clockers, you're going to have to sit your clocks early. There's no 11 o'clock that day, okay? Just remember. There's an 8.30. Everybody, we are going to have Saturday because, you know, some people, it just, you know, we don't want to push them out if they can't come. But Sunday morning, just one service. So we only have, you know, a time or two left to be together, kind of finish this whole thing up. But the intent was never to kind of line by line. The intent was to make this rich in a way that you would understand the most important thing is that Christ is tender with you, God is tender with you, and that you would then find him trustworthy. Right? So here we go. Um, 14.1. In Jesus, divine love and freedom take shape as a fully human act. So I sort of talked about that. There's no sort of cheating. Jesus sort of love acts, okay? Love acts. God was God even in human flesh dying on the cross. So I give you Acts 3.15. You killed, right? So you kill something that's born of Mary. You killed the author of life, right? I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You killed the author of life. It's a weird way to talk but because Jesus is both human and divine, it makes complete sense, right? The cross makes itself worse than the worst of the world. One of the reasons for a crucifixion is it's it's difficult for people to say, I had it worse, right? Um, I think you probably remember from past times that when people, the Assyrians invented crucifixion, you know, when they would sort of, you know, um, sweep across the landscape. People who wouldn't capitulate, they would pull their door frame out, sharpen it like a pencil, and toss you up on top of it, kind of underneath your rib cage. That was the earliest way of crucifixion. And the Romans then um, refined this, you know. And there were times, one of the, one of the Roman historians write, um, Ro- the Romans crucified people till they ran out of wood. And they would, they would line the roads coming into, into Rome with crucified bodies, just as a warning to people. I mean, talk about a terrorist state, right? The Pax Romano, right? Everything was peaceful when Jesus was born. Well, you know, you know, I mean, in the way that East Germany was peaceful, right? I mean, you just shoot your enemies down. Um, you know, so it's a very difficult thing. But then this interesting thing from Galatians, Christ redeemed us by becoming a curse for us, right? He redeemed us in order that blessing might come to the Gentiles. That's us, right? And by faith, our agreement, hey, that's for me. Thank you very much. We might receive the Spirit. Okay, I'm turning the page to three. So I did did the next bit already for you. So, um, God is God in the flesh on the cross, and God is God in the flesh of Jesus raised from the dead. Which means that no matter how horrible we are, um, the resurrection is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a testimony to the resiliency, the toughness, right, the persistence of God's love. One of the things about our love is that um, it's fickle, and it runs out of steam, Right? This is why um, we talk about Christian love as being a divine attribute or virtue that comes from God and acts through us. I mean, come on, real honestly. Um, there's very few of you, you in this room who could actually love me if you knew me. 
And, and to be honest with you, I probably would feel about the same about you if I had your, like, say, your elementary school records and, and your police record. So, um, you know, it's actually hard to love people as you get to know them. It's one of the things about being married and sort of, you know, you just sort of, you know, you're sort of, I, you just, you kind of go, I, I can't believe that about you, right? I mean, you've had this experience if you've been married. Well, then you have a decision to make. To love divinely is to love through that and to have a love that is resilient. It's only a love that's resilient, that's tough. The kind of love that resurrects the dead. That's the kind of love you can depend on. That's the kind of person you can trust. Right? It's a woeful thing if you can't think of it. You kind of think right now. If you just think to yourself right now, who can I trust? Okay. I mean, you've probably been through this experience. If, you, if you've had to make a will, two things you have to do. Figure out who's going to take care of your kids if the plane goes down, right? And who's going to decide whether they pull the plug? I have literally been, I have been at the bedside of people where the people are on a ventilator, they can't talk, but they're clearly awake, and they're trying to Morse code you with their eye blinks, and the kids are arguing about whether or not they're going to pull the plug and how soon. And I'm like, time out. You know, you... It's, I mean, to, so part of the real question is, you know, who, who do you trust with that decision, right? And people have all sorts of conflicts of interest then, right? You should think about it, though. Who is it that you trust? My guess is the person that you trust most is the person who's loved you best. Where love is not just chatter. Love is action, right? Love is motion. Love is a verb. Love does things. So, um, no matter how horrible we are, the resurrection is a testimony to the toughness of God's love, to his commitment to creation, and his resilience. I love you even though you're putting nails through my hands. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, right? And it doesn't have anything to do with your particular superiority, which is why you can't think of yourself as better than anybody else. It has to do with God's commitment to what he's made. God loves all his children, and he wants them all back again. And, I, you know, when I wrote this last line, I wondered if I was, um, I, wonder if, I was wondering if it was the truest thing or absolute heresy. There's nothing you can do to make the Lord hate you. Quite remarkable, right? If he hated you, he'd give you up. But the truth is that the Lord, I mean, this is what we're going into in Holy Week and Palm Sunday, is when the Lord has to choose between you and him, somebody has to die for this, he chooses himself. He'd rather die than hold your sins against you. It's very hopeful, right? It's very hopeful that people would, that somebody would love you in spite of yourself and in spite of all you've done, that somebody would love you and would love you even at the moment when you're doing your worst to him. Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing, right? So the death and resurrection of Jesus is a proclamation that the only way through death to life is love. Right? This is what St. Paul is talking about when he can talk so kind of whimsically about the cross in 2 Corinthians. So, what we are is known to God, objectively. And I hope, subjectively, it's also known to your conscience. Right? For the love of Christ controls us. Right? So we're co- controlled from the inside out. 
right? So the test of this is, you know, you, there's nothing you, you know, the test of this is Jesus, okay? There's nothing you can do to Jesus to make him hurt you, right? If you want to be on your own in hell forever and ever, amen, that's on you. This is, this is just confirmation of, there's just, God will just let you have your way. If you want to be lost forever in darkness, that's on you. That's your decision. But Christ's decision is always for you and never against you, right? For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this. One died for all, so all have died. And he died so that we no longer live for ourselves, but for him, right? This is the whole Christian thing. So I flip the page. From now on, we don't regard anybody according to normal life, according to the flesh, right? How we deal with people, how we think about people, you know, how we value people, how we decide to help people. We don't think about people the way the world thinks. The world thinks in terms of, of power. The world thinks in terms of domination. The world thinks in terms of being masters, you know, um, it doesn't. It doesn't matter if you go to Washington D.C. right now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you know, if you go to a Marxist country where they pause the revolution occasionally to execute whole bodies of people. Right? The genocide that always happens to come where everybody's equal. Or well, some some pigs are just more equal than others. Right? So if anyone is in Christ, that's code for baptism. If anybody's in Christ, he's new. You're new. If you're baptized, you're new. You got a new lease on life. The old's passed away, the new's come. And this is from God. It's through Christ. It's from God. It's through Christ who reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So reconciliation makes, there's no rub. So Christ says, there's no rub between you and me. And then he says, between, there's no rub then between you and anybody else. So Christ says, there's no rub between you and me. And Christ says, there's no rub between me and anybody else. Love, love in all directions. So if you're a Christian, that means you love everybody else as well. Right? Not counting their sins against them and entrusting to us the ministry, the message of reconciliation. So we're ambassadors for Christ. This is why it's so important for the church to be kind. God making his appeal through us. You might be the only um, exposure that anybody has to Christ. And so... It's terribly important that you do your best imitation of Christ then, right? And then, the, you know, in one line, everything that the church believes, 22, 21. For our sake, so for us, not against us, for us, God made Jesus to be sin, made him into sin. I think I told you this is like my, among my many revelations that happened to me when I first came to St. John is I preached on this text in a family quit the church. Because I had said something in the sermon like Jesus is the biggest sinner who ever lived. And that was like unconscionable for them. It really was a crisis of conscience. I felt bad. And they left because I had said that Jesus was a sinner, right? And they couldn't sort of conceive this verse that Jesus is the worst sinner that ever lived, right? Imputed, of course, because of you, not because of himself. But nevertheless, Christ made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So this is the great exchange Luther talks about. Jesus takes your sins and he gives you his glory. Takes your sins and gives you his holiness. Takes your sins and gives you his love. Takes your sins and gives you his new life. Takes your sins and gives you the possibility to be fully human. You can move about in the world and it doesn't matter what anybody else does because inside you is Christ, divine virtue. In Romans today, I always, um, so this is the kind of stuff I think about in church. 
I was wondering whether, wait till you get to the end of Romans. You might, in case the sermon's boring, this will give you something to think about. Um, I was wondering if the Holy Spirit leaves us when we die. I've got to ask the other pastors, they'll know the answer to this. But there is this, see, the Eucharist doesn't leave you, right? So I've often said to you, the Eucharist goes inside you. The Eucharist is indestructible. You're indestructible. Jesus is inside you. Jesus doesn't leave you. Jesus is indestructible. You're indestructible. The reason you go to heaven is because you go to the Eucharist. At the end of the Romans text that's appointed for today, it says, Christ puts his spirit inside you. I'm thinking, this is great. Like you're two for two. So you both have both Christ inside you and have the spirit inside you. And I was wondering, technically speaking, whether the spirit ever leads you or if there's some way that your spirit leads and the Holy Spirit is still there. This is the kind of stuff I think about when I'm on my own. You should probably, um, I don't know, invest in an ETF or something, okay? So forget about this. Think about your retirement. All right? So um, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection means that our new life isn't a life of generalities, right? And so, so often you hear people just chattering about doing good. You know, talk is really cheap. I mean, it just is really, to love is to do, right? Right? To, you know, to love is to do good. That's what it is. To love is to do good. Do some good. Galatians like 6.10. Do some good. Galatians, this great book about how you're saved by grace and not by your own works, comes to chapter 6 and it's like, this is just one verse. Do good. It's like Galatians 6.10 or 8 or something like that. Do good. To love is to do good, okay? It's not just to talk about it. It's not, I mean, one of the problems with so much media is that everybody's talking and nobody's doing anything, right? How about if there was a national day of shut up? I should probably, you know, and I'm just thinking about this. I may, like, this would be great. Like a, a national ban on talking, but only you could only do, and you could only do good. I wonder how that would change the character of life. I'm going to propose this. There are a lot of other holidays, right? I'm national day of shut up. I'm thinking about, there's a possibility here. It just came to me. I'm like slain in the spirit right now. It's great. <laughs> I can almost get done if I push, but I'm not going to push you too hard. But let me just say one last thing. This means your life is completely sacramental. This is why you can't live without baptism, you can't live without the Eucharist, and why words are sacramental as well, right? If to love is to do good, to love is to trust, to love is to do good, you know, this is why your life is... It's about doing good for other people. It's about respect. It's the dignity of other people. It's the dignity of Christ. It's love for Christ and service to your neighbor. It's all the things we always talk about. It's interesting. The church has been saying the same thing for 2,000 years. It's just that people don't always hear it. But when people do hear it, and when they do do it, it makes all the difference. It's the reason there are saints, right? The reason we have saints is because, look, you know, as Chesterton said, it's not that Christianity has been, you know, tried and failed. It's that nobody ever tried it, right? I just encourage you to give it a go. This is a different paradigm. It's a different hermeneutic. It's a different model for thinking about life, that you would love people individually and you'd be motivated by love regardless of the characteristics of the people around you, that you start with love and work out with whomever you touch. It's a very different way of thinking about things. I admit it's not very efficient, um, but it is deeply satisfying because 
You participate in the divine life when you do it, and you bestow the dignity that Christ bestows on other human beings when you do it. You become, as Luther says, little Christ to each other. All right, next week, uh, you know, this week, come for Wednesday. Come for dinner, right? Uh, We'll do a little something next week, and then we'll see where it goes. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See you soon.